the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. Hello again and welcome to the show. Coming up more on the flood cleanup and another case of varomite. And after mass dumping of fruit in 2022, avocado growers are bracing for another year of oversupply off the back of increased production. Nearly half of all the trees planted in Australia are yet to come into full production. So this isn't a one-off, what we've just seen. It's going to continue over the next few years as we continue to increase our production up to about 170,000 tonnes, up from uh, about 80,000 tonnes in 2021. So we're going through a massive growth phase. More on that story shortly, and uh, we'll also have the latest on Varel Might. Also, uh, looking at uh, water out in the far west as well. Water, water everywhere. So that's uh, coming up as well. It's six minutes past 12 here on the Country Hour. But first up, that new case of Varroa cropping up in the Hunter region. Is the eradication strategy still the main game? And also some concerns being raised by landholders in flood-affected areas like Forbes and Ugarra that the financial help that has been promised is very slow in materialising. I raise these and other issues with the Agriculture Minister Dougal Saunders uh, just a short time ago. Minister Dougal Saunders joins me now. Um, Minister, thanks for your time. Pleasure, Michael. Good to talk to you. Now, Varroa first up. Uh, what's the situation with this uh, latest outbreak? Yeah, look, well, it's not really an outbreak. I guess what we've seen is a couple of new infected premises discovered in the past couple of weeks, which um, it's, it's probably not completely unexpected. It's, it's slightly disappointing, but uh, these are infected premises now within the current surveillance zone, the purple zone, so right next door to where our hotspots are around that sort of Hunter, um, Port Stephens, Newcastle area. Uh, and, and what it means is that there is now just an extension of those red eradication zone in those particular areas. Uh, it does show that the surveillance we're doing is working and the surveillance basically is around making sure that the hotspot areas where we know we've had infected premises and most of those hives have now been uh, euthanised, we need to keep doing that surveillance around those areas and that's the point of the surveillance zone. Uh, we'll keep doing that. We're doing that in a range of ways, including uh, using alcohol washes, but also using miticide strips and sticky mats. So the miticide strip being put into hives it then kills anything other than the bees that is in the hive. Uh, and that's what some of these discoveries have been, literally dead mites on sticky mats at the bottom of the hive. It shows that's working. We need to keep doing that, and we will. So you still think eradication is still on the cards? You, you're happy with that process there? Yeah, look, I still am. And, and I think, look, all the feedback we're getting from within, within industry, and that's um, both plant-based industries and, and apiarists, is that they're still confident this can work and that everything that can be done is being done. You know, that you're not going to always uh, have every single person 100% happy, but most people that I'm talking to are saying they can still see that this is working and it's a, you know, it's a point in, in, in time where we get to be able to say we've eradicated it. We're not there yet. We need to keep doing all the hard work to make sure we can get there. Also, uh, let's talk about the floods now because um, the uh, local National Party member federally, uh, Andrew G, was saying he had a landholder in tears saying that he hadn't really had any assistance, no grants, no money, no nothing, and uh, there was a big delay. Others are reporting similar things. What, what are you hearing about that money getting out in terms of grants to people, and is there a, is there a hold-up? Is there red tape, bureaucracy? What's happening? No, look, I think that they're probably... When, when these things first happen, there's always a little bit of a lag time. But really, 
Um, I think everything has now completely caught up. And you've got to remember, we've got 75 local government areas across the state that are under natural disaster declaration. So there's a lot of pressure going in, in basically in the one portal. But uh, since... Uh, I think the 18th of November, the Premier announced that we would we would have the special disaster grant open. Um, we've had about 860 applications that have been received by the Rural Assistance Authority. That's a lot in a very short time. Uh, there's been more than three and a half million of those approved um, and starting to roll out the door. So, so look, there, there's what, what percentage of the 800 have been approved and gone through then? Look, I think out of the 800, um, there's been probably, I don't know, look, I actually haven't got the percentage, but it's it's around about a million dollars of the three that's already out the door. So three approved, a third of that out the door. Right. So it's it's not bad in, what is it, 12 days, sort of two weeks. So it's it's it, obviously, it's and it's ramping up. More and more people are putting in their applications now with what they needed to do. At the start of a disaster, as you know, and we've talked about before, a lot of people start a process and then stop and they 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 don't complete it, they half do it, hope something will work, RAA then has to contact them and try and get things completed. So, look, I was with RAA last night. Um, they've got more, more staff coming on board. They're getting through applications as quickly as they can. And we've got the Rural Landholder Grant as well. This is one for, for not if you're not qualifying for primary producer, uh, but you are a landowner, that's open as of the 5th of December. So uh, next week, that's, uh, that's a, a $10,000 uh, grant available for, for those on that smaller scale and that's a really important one as well so we're doing everything we can but if you are having any problems I just ask you to call RAA and talk about your uh, your situation it's a, it's a fairly simple process they are there to help they're not trying to block anything and my pretty simple instruction to the team is get grants out the door as quickly as you can Roads is another issue. Uh, harvest in some parts has kicked off, albeit, uh, you know, we are seeing downgrades, we are seeing damage, we're seeing losses. But uh, the, the one thing we are hearing from uh, uh, grain contractors, harvesters, har- uh, contract harvesters, is the roads are in a shocking state. What's the latest on that? Is, is there, you know, are, you, uh, are the road gangs getting out and fixing it up? Are we looking at uh, you know, fixing the highways and getting them and local roads, getting them up and running for harvest? Yeah, look, absolutely. And that's one of the things that uh, local councils, with uh, the disbursement of that uh, pothole funding literally a couple of days ago, um, we're now saying to councils, you need to prioritise what roads are important. And I, I've had a yarn to a lot of contractors and councils about what they need to do. So if, for example, there's a, a couple of roads that there'll be a lot of activity on harvesters, B-doubles, carting grain, all that sort of stuff, it's up to council to then work with those landowners to make sure they prioritise that, get some gravel, get some whatever they need to get there to fill some of the, the potholes that might be causing the angst to allow that harvest to happen, and, and then it'll, it'll move around the area. So councils have that ability to do some of that localised stuff. On the highways, look, we've got more and more work going on all the time to try and make sure that some of the main freightways uh, are running more efficiently and without some of those massive craters. Um, and that's, look, that's a commitment from the roads, uh, the regional roads, Minister Sam Faraway, to get cracking and do as much of that as we can. What about we've federal money, though? You'll need some of that for yeah. some of the national highways. 
Yeah, well, exactly. And look, the, the feds have been probably a little bit slow off the mark on, on some of that funding. And I, I think that's something they could definitely be doing. Um, but in the meantime, we just we want to get things done. I'm, I'm, I'm not um, I'm not expecting the feds are going to suddenly dip in money for roads that we want done really quickly. So we're looking after that. That's why we've incentivised councils as well. And people are already, you know, we, we've had a lot of canola across sort of the, the Dubbo and West area. There are still some parts that are sodden and there's still a lot of wheat that isn't ready to come off yet. Mm. So people are getting done what they can really really quickly um, and, and you know most people uh, with the flood recovery stuff just quickly again he, he, most people that have received their approval for application are now getting on and fixing fences and all that sort of stuff i was at molong yesterday where again a, a huge cascade of water came through the, the community's really responding well they know we've got their back with those grants uh, and people are getting on with the job which is great to see and a bit of sunny weather helps mate that's for sure minister thanks for your time Always good to talk to you. Thanks, Michael. Mr Dougald Saunders there talking about Varroa, the roads, uh, also flood relief, a whole range of issues there. It's uh, 14 minutes past 12. Well, at 12.30 today, we're crossing to the cricket on the radio, but the Country Hour will continue on the digital stream and on the app. But uh, in light of uh, the radio switching to the cricket, we're going to have uh, weather and markets in this uh, part of the program up until 12.30. So uh, right now, let's catch up with the Bureau. Stephen Stefanak there. Good afternoon. A good afternoon, Michael. So not much happening in the weather, which is good, you know, considering what we've seen in the last uh, few months, really. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So we're not seeing any widespread rain across those inland parts of the state, and that's allowing those floodwaters, which are uh, still, you know, still got some major flooding, mm. uh, to just to slowly flow and recede downstream. And um, so that, that's, the, that's the good news, I guess, is that uh, we're not expecting any sort of backup rainfall catchment wide to reinvigorate those floodwaters but we do have some isolated showers and thunderstorms about and we expect some of them across the northern inland this afternoon and they'll spread down to central parts uh, of, of the state tomorrow uh, by tomorrow afternoon and evening so it's a little bit unsettled but these are sort of isolated and localised thunderstorms not that widespread rain that we had the other week right okay so and not much in it by the sound of things or you but there might be some thunderstorm activity so you know you got to throw that in the mix too yeah so with the thunderstorms uh you know we could have ice if you get caught under them i mean they have the potential to produce uh localized or isolated heavy rainfall um you know just over some small patch there you know could get 20 to 30 millimeters in 30 minutes and that could be that could cause some very localised concern, but it, it should be very isolated. It would be pretty hit and miss in, in, in regards to the towns uh, and the spacing of the towns out there in the, in, in the central and the northern parts of the inland parts of the state. It's a little bit more wetter towards the coast, though. Uh, we do have some uh, showers, particularly along the northern coast over the next couple of days. Uh, they'll see there's this low developing off the Queensland coast. It's going to mean an increase of onshore winds across that northeastern corner of the state. So they'll see some showers, nothing too significant, but uh, we would expect wet conditions there on Thursday and Friday and some windier conditions too up in that, in that part of the world. Mm. Uh, okay, and uh, there was some talk about some rain for the Lismore region, but that seems to have backed off now. The models seem to not, not yep. to be showing that now. Yeah, so that's that rain coming over on Thursday and Friday in that northeast corner there. It's mostly showery stuff, uh, you know, it could have 20, 30 or 40 or more millimetres. Um, but uh, most of that, well, what, not expect to be intense or in 
in, in short, heavy bursts. It'll be mostly just showers just uh, pushing onshore uh, for the next couple of days up there. Uh, we'll be wetter than what was seen in recent times up there, but it's not causing us enough concern. Uh, it's not uh, of concern for riverine flooding perspective. So there, so we're not expecting any riverine flooding to uh, up there, but uh, just uh, just wet. Yeah, just watch it as well. And uh, further into the week, in the next seven days, any sign of any rain or any or what, what sort of weather are we expecting for the next week? Well, I guess starting with the temperatures part of it, it's uh, temperatures have not been too warm for this time of year, a little bit below average for parts of the state. So they expect to continue, but we do have this high near, currently near Victoria, and that will move over to Tasman Sea over the coming days. So we'll get some more northerly winds across the state by Saturday and Sunday. So warming up a little bit more across the weekend, particularly by Sunday in the far western parts of the state where we might have maximum temperatures reaching the mid-30s. It'll be milder closer to the coast due to the influence of onshore winds. But the weather-wise, uh, just, um, yeah, each and every day from Friday to Saturday, Sunday, not too much about, apart from that northern coast where we'll have showers. Just might see an isolated shower, thunderstorm about parts of the state um, for the remainder of the week uh, across the inland, particularly uh, through to the weekend. And, yeah, it's, it's quite varied. It's looking like mostly isolated act, act activity, yeah. All right, Stephen, thanks for that. Thank you, Michael. Stephen Stefanak at the Bureau there. It's uh, coming up to 18 minutes past 12. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Well, back to the latest varroa mite discoveries and a significant breeder of queen bees has been caught up in the latest case of varroa mite in New South Wales. This latest infestation involves just one hive on a recreational beekeeper's property and is linked to previous cases, which is good news for the sector, but the red zone has been extended around that new site, which will require many more beekeepers to euthanise their hives. Cole Wilson is one of them. He's a commercial beekeeper who was involved in selling queen bees around the country, he told David Clawton that the latest case will exacerbate the shortage of queens around the country. Yeah, well, with that particular case, yes, it's only um, one hive um, which a recreational beekeeper had. But but the implication with that, once you find one, they create another 10-kilometre zone around it. So anybody who falls within that 10-kilometre red zone um, then the bees in that area will be euthanised. And how many people would be caught up? How many bees might be affected by that? I'm not sure. The, the other, like there was one last week, and and once they put the zone around that, that took in I think about another 600 hives. Um, this one, I'm not sure the numbers at this stage because it was only yesterday, so I don't know how, how many hives that'll end up taking into that that zone. And yeah. would all those hives have to be euthanized or cleaned or destroyed or yeah yeah in in the, in the red zone yes J- mm-hmm. just just in case there's a possibility that you know mites within that zone right and what impact do you think that will have on beekeepers and on the people that rely on their services in that area uh, yeah well beekeeper well i i myself um was in a purple zone which meant that you'd still keep your bees restricted with what you could do with them you couldn't do much with them but now this case yesterday I now fall into the red zone 
so that so that means those bees will go. So, um, so that sort of you know you, you generate no income from them at all once once they're euthanised and um, depends how long the program continues for. Um, I breed queen bees. That's been my main thing. And, and they get distributed across Australia. So I've, I've lost, you know, like, you know, you just can't sell in Queens. And, and even when I, even when I was in the purple, I was greatly restricted um, in selling queen bees. Um, and so that's, you know, just that's part of the business. It's just totally shut down. Yeah, so would so, you get compensation, Cole? Well, you don't, you don't get compensation. You you do get paid for the loss of your equipment, um, but there's no compensation of loss of wages you know, or, or income. And where does that leave you? Because you're a significant player in that commercial sector, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, just got don't, at, at this stage, don't really know. Got to, I suppose, got to sit down and have a good think. With so many hives being destroyed around New South Wales, what's it like for people who are trying to now get re-established or, or what will it be like in the in the coming months as this thing plays well, out? Yes. Yeah, so, so, well, for instance, um, Queen Bee sales, um, that has had an impact over the whole of uh, Australia because once once we found mites in New South Wales, all the borders shut around New South Wales, so no other state will, will accept Queen Bees, um, which come from New South Wales. New South Wales is the major state in Australia who produces the most amount of queen bees. So Tasmania, Victoria, South Australia, all those places relied on queen bees to come out of New South Wales. So all those acres in all those other states have been impacted as well because they you need to requeen your hives every year. So they no longer have access um, to where they all used to purchase their queen bees. So, what's happening to the supply and the and the price of queen bees now in other states? Oh well, it's a supply shortage. Um, I don't know how they're going to get around that um, yeah, at this stage. That's queen bee breeder Cole Wilson, who's been caught up in the uh, latest uh, case of varroa mite discoveries. It's uh, coming up to twenty three minutes past twelve. Well, let's uh, before we uh, go to uh, the uh, cricket, let's have some market information now. First up, let's go to Casino Cattle and Doug Robson. Numbers lifted by 200 for yarding of 1,284 head. Young cattle were well supplied and there was a fair penning of cows. Quality of the young cattle was fairly plain, although there were several pens of well-presented cattle offered. The market varied, with the better young cattle only slightly cheaper. However, the plainer types suffered the greatest loss. Restock a weaner's deer sold from 430 to 658 cents. Restock a weaner heifers range from 420 to 595. Only a few grown steers, and they topped at 330 cents. There were several pens of well-finished grown heifers. They ranged from 313 to 350 cents. Cow market was 5 to 10 cents cheaper, although the better heavier cows were less affected. Light two-score cows sold from 210 to 240. Three-score medium weight savage 289. And heavy cows sold from 280 to 322 cents. Doug Robson at Casino. Let's go to Carcore Sheep and Lambs and Stephen Adams. 
Good afternoon. Car called paying 6,900 sheep and lambs, a decrease of 2,200 on last sale. It was a planner offering of 5,000 lambs. Heavy lambs sold mostly to a firm trend to top at $290. The trade lambs cheaper. Regular buyers attended with some restock competition on odd pens of crossbred ewes. Light restock of lambs, $17 to $75, and merinos to $70. Light processing lambs, $138 to $145, with restock of Dorpus to $110. Trade lambs made $134 to $160. Heavy trades to $178, and merinos to $144. Heavy lambs, $190 to $220, and lambs over 30 kilos carcass weight, $220 to $279. Hoggett numbers increased with heavy drafts to 140, the light pens to 95, new season lambs to process 162 and 115 to the paddock. Used to cheaper trends, light pens 43 to 73, medium weight 60 to 95 with heavy crossbreds 128 to process and 131 back to the paddock. Merino weathers 94 to 121 and rams to 42. Stephen Adams, MLA at Carcor. Let's go to Yash Sheep and Lambs, Graham Richard. Good afternoon. Numbers lifted to 15,000. 12,000 were new season lambs. The quality remains mixed with plenty of store lambs under 40 kilos live, good runs of trade weights and a few heavy and extra heavy lines. With the early report, all that's been sold are the larger drafts of store lambs and mutton. The market is selling to a much cheaper trend of $30 to $50 a head for the mutton hoggets. Store lambs were back 26 and sold from 80 to 116. Heavy hoggets 70 to 135. Medium weight ewes 49 to 98. Heavy crossbred ewes 88 to 109 and the best merinos reached 105. There's still the good trade and heavy lambs to sell and this has been Graham Richard at Yass. And uh, the no cow, sheep and lamb market for today because uh, it's too early in the sale to report on that. But let's go to Mossvale Cattle now. Let's get the latest from Dave Kent. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. There were similar numbers for a total number of 512 fair to good quality cattle. Yearlings and weaners made up the bulk of the offering with most returning to the paddock along with a few well-finished lines to suit the processes. There was an increased number of grown cattle and 39 cows. All the usual buyers except for a feedlot buyer were operating Selling to a softer market, yearling steers to suit the trade, up to 25 cents cheaper, 400 to 524. Yearling heifers to process were firm, making from 520, 420 sorry, to 490. There was limited interest for feeder cattle. Feeder steers back six, averaging 457. Heifers to feed average 390. Weaner steers returning the paddock price unchanged, 455 to 678. Heifers considerably cheaper, 265 to 534. Heavy grain steers back five, 300 to 360. Grown heifers average 330. Heavy prime cows slipped eight, 290 to 318. Heavy bulls to process, seven cents a kilo dearer. This is Dave Kent at Mossvale for MLA. Thanks, Dave. And that's the market information for today as, of course, we're heading to the cricket. But before we do that, there's been mass dumping of fruit in 2022. Avocado growers are bracing for another year of oversupply on the back of increased production. Uh, there are four million trees in the ground compared to one and a half ten years ago, one and a half million ten years ago. And uh, we're hearing from Avocados Australia Chief Executive John Tyus that it's uh, been a pretty tough road for avocado growers. It has been a very tough year uh, and it's been coming for a while because we've been monitoring the tree plantings over the last few years. And, uh, you know, we know that nearly half of all the trees planted in Australia are yet to come into full production. So this isn't a one-off, what we've just seen. It's going to continue over the next few years as we continue to increase our production up to about 170,000 tonnes, up from about 80,000 tonnes in 2021. So we're going through a massive 
growth phase and, and um, obviously the industry is going through some fairly serious growing pains. So yeah, very tough year last year, but uh, we're doing everything we can to build demand in the domestic market, but, but also developing new export markets. Uh, because you know, simply the the domestic market is going to struggle to consume all the volume that's coming in the next few years. Realistically, how competitive are we going to be, though, given the distances involved in export and the fact that so many other countries produce lots of avocados? Most of our competitors are in South America, so we are closer to our export markets, which are predominantly Asia. That's uh, Southeast Asia is where most of uh, our avocados go, and that's where our focus is. Um, we're also looking at uh, expanding our footprint into Japan and and uh, hoping to get access to to India before too long, which is uh, which is an emerging market. And, uh, and you know, one day we hope to get access to to China. So we're in a we're in a good position geographically. That's John Tyus uh, from Avocados Australia. You're listening to the New South Wales Country Hour. As I said, we'll be uh, crossing to the cricket shortly on the radio, but continuing on our digital stream. So uh, stay listening on uh, the digital stream for the Country Hour or uh, on the radio for the cricket. It's coming up to half past 12. <laughs> 